Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. We are in a series entitled Getting Clear with Christ. We are talking about uh, seeing Him more clearly in 2020 as well as seeing ourselves uh, in a good image, in a good reflection of Him. And we're going through the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And today we're going to talk about the church of Philadelphia. But if I had a specific title for this message, I want to talk to you about the door uh, of favor. The door of favor. Uh, many years ago, there's a story uh, about three young guys, uh, Sam, uh, Lewis, and John. And they, uh, young guys, wanted to live it up and go to New York City and just have a week living the high life. I don't know that they were just, they weren't the most Christian guys. But either way, they went there and they, they got on the uh, Grand Central Station, got the train, got in a little cab, and took them to one of the nicest hotels uh, in New York, the Ambassador Hotel years ago. And they asked the clerk at the front desk for the best room. And they said, well, this is the suite. It is on the 29th floor. There is only one room like it. Uh, it's like heaven on earth. There's TVs and multiple couches and multiple beds. And so these guys wanted to live it up. Said, yep, that's the one we want. So they agreed. And they got the room. And the bellhop took them up. And uh, they uh, put all their stuff in. And they got their dress for the night on the town. And they go, let's leave their key at the front desk. And they go uh, on the town. Well, they get tired, and they finally come back, and they get inside, and they, uh, the clerk at the desk says, well, unfortunately, the elevator's having some issues. You can either walk 29 floors up, okay, or we'll give you a nice room. It's not the best room on the second floor. So these young guys, we're only here once. We only live once. We're young. We can handle it. So 29 floors, let's do it. Uh, doesn't that sound like three guys, right? So 29 floors, let's do it. So they get there, you know, five, fifth floor, sixth floor, 11th floor, 12th floor, 15th floor, and Sam, he's about to give up, and he wants to quit, and they're huffing and puffing and grunting and getting to like this, and uh, finally they say, okay, we can do it, and they get to the 20th floor, and they're ready to just completely pass out and give up, they're like, it's only nine floors, we've made it past halfway, can we just do nine more, so they get there, and they get to the 29th floor, and they're crawling down the 20-foot hallway to get to the door. Three guys. And they get to the door, and Sam reaches in his pocket. He doesn't have a key. He turns to the other guy, John. John looks to Lewis behind him. No key. They are inches away from what they think is heaven on earth, and no key. The door was shut to them. It's a funny story, but it's really true on how many people in this world today will by many, many means and much effort try to get to heaven. But unless Christ opens the door to you, you cannot enter. Amen? Uh, we need the door to be opened uh, to us. You need Jesus to open the door. And how many people have ever locked yourself out of a house or a car? Okay. What was it like waiting? This happens sometimes to my wife, uh, and I bought her one of those little key things where it beeps, you know, and we still don't use it, you know, but those little things where you try to find where my key is. Uh, what is it like anticipating, you know, locking yourself out like in the Walmart parking lot or something, and you have to call the sheriff's department, and they have to get the thing and go down the window, but it's kind of like, one, embarrassing, but then you kind of get anxiety, like I'm here, I'm waiting, are they going to come? It gets anxious. You, you worry maybe sometimes 
what's going to happen or how's this going to work out or maybe they can't find the key or maybe this isn't going to get open. You know, sometimes life uh, can get a little shaky too. I think about those guys trying to get up there. Life can get a little shaky, can get a little exhausting. You can go through seasons when you wonder, am I going to make it? Are we going to get there? All the effort we've been putting in, has it been for nothing? All the things I've been trying to do, whether it's my job or my relationships or with my kids or maybe even my health, am I going to get through this moment? You can even come to times where you wonder, is God even here? Is he going to show up at the right time? God, there's a lot of things on the line right now, and it would be really good, Lord, if you would just open the door to that favor that I need. I need this job to work out. I need this situation or this circumstance to really work out to my benefit. And maybe you can go through seasons when you feel shut out from the blessings of God. I know sometimes people will come into churches or they'll go through situations in their life, whether it be through uh, addictions or uh, mental problems, relationship problems. You think, I don't know if God even cares right now. I don't feel his presence. I don't sense that he's active in my life right now, or maybe you've been burnt out. Maybe there's things that's just been going on that's been, uh, you could write a novel about how things have been going in your life, and you feel shut out from the blessings of God. That's a really good time for the devil, uh, Satan, to come in and try to rob you uh, of God's blessings. He can even turn people against you. He might tell you, hey, you burned it, buddy. You're not good enough. He's not coming. The door's not going to open. And you begin to wonder, likewise, does God care and will he answer and will this season end? And you get tired of waiting for shut doors to open. Is God going to bless me? Maybe I don't deserve it. Or maybe you want to quit or give up the fight to even live right. You know, God, I'm, I, if you ever gotten to this point in your life where, God, I'm, I'm so tired of trying to live right. And just be honest with yourself. You ever thought those things? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It's sometimes very hard to be a Christian. And God, is it even worth it? God, are you even there? Is anything going to amount to anything? And God, I've been doing all the right things. I've been trying to do the right things. I've been living the right life. And God, it doesn't look like it's helping any. You know what I'm talking about this morning? You ever had those thoughts where the devil comes in and helps you to doubt the word of God and strive for holiness? It may feel like it's easier not to be a Christian and just not to care. Here's the good news. That when God decides to bless someone... There's nobody that can stop him. When God decides to open the door and pour out the blessings of heaven that you cannot contain it, the Bible says, there's no one who can stop him. There's nobody who can stop God when he opens the door. But here's the question. Am I a person God wants to open a door for? Am I faithful? Am I willing to follow him? Am I willing to wait upon him? Am I in the place where God will open a door for me. I want to talk to you this morning just about this. The faithful follow Christ into favor. Let's read Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 real quick. If you're there, somebody say amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door. Turn to your neighbor and say, an open door, which no one can shut because you have a little power, keyword little power, and you've kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're about the Jews but are not 
and lie, I'll make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. I love this part. That I have loved you. Because why? Because you've kept the word of my perseverance. And I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing that's about to come upon the whole world and test those who dwell on the earth. And I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar. Somebody say pillar. Pillar in the temple of my God. He'll not go out from it anymore. And I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me give you the background uh, to this real quick. So Paul is writing, or sorry, John, the apostle, is hearing from Jesus, and he's writing to the church uh, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the name. It's from brotherly love. It's from the guy who founded it because he loved his brother. He found the city. And here Jesus is declaring his love to one of his most faithful churches. This is one of the only churches, there's only two in this whole list, that Jesus doesn't say anything bad about, and this is one of them, Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a very prosperous city in its heyday, but it had an earthquake, a earthquake about 17 years uh, B.C., or sorry, A.D., 17 A.D., all right? So there's uh, this great place with temples and economies booming, then it just goes to kaput. All the structures fall down, and if you know anything about earthquakes, sometimes only the pillars remain on these big temples. So this town has been economically destroyed. It got, felt like they were abandoned. In fact, at the time John is writing this of Christ, it's been many years since that moment. We're like in 90 A.D. now, so that happened in 17 A.D., and the emperor comes into this place where there's all these vineyards in Philadelphia, which is the backbone of their community. They've finally got things going right again. The emperor says, you know what? Your vineyards are nicer than my vineyards in Rome, so I'm going to tell everybody to cut them down and burn them because it's competing with my produce for wine. And so the emperor comes into his own town, cuts all of their economy out, and basically they feel excluded and cast out uh, from all the things that they... Man, you ever had a life like that sometimes? I'm just thinking I'm making it, and then something comes and pulls the rug out under your feet, we say. That's these people. All right, and then go on to the Christians. The Christians are in this town, and in this day, Christians could go to the synagogue, which is where the Jews worship, and most people thought they were Jews. And the Jews had this legal right that they don't have to bow down to the emperors, and the Jews don't have to worship the pagan gods because Rome gave them a pass. So as long as Christians are under the Jews' umbrella, everything's okay. But about this time, because these people started radically being who God called them to be, preaching the gospel, declaring Jesus, keeping his word, that Jesus is alive. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. These Jews kicked them out. They come to the synagogue. They say, I don't care if your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters go here. You're one of those crazy Christian people. And they push them out the door, and they shut the door in their face. And they could not. They lost their family. They lost their friends. They lost their way of worship. And now they are subject to Roman persecution because now if they want a job, now if you want to go to the marketplace and buy some fruit or some produce, you have got to make an offering that says Caesar is God and all these other gods are equal to my God. Can you imagine having to make that decision in your life? It's either going to be my poverty and my community or I'm going to have to go against my Savior. These guys were shut out And then no doubt wondered, 
Is, are we shut out from the blessing of God? Because these Jews are coming and saying, God doesn't love you. God is not for you. You've fallen into hypocrisy. You're a liar. You're of the devil yourself. Man, you, you need to just repent and get back into what we're supposed to be doing. No doubt the devil would have used that moment. But nevertheless, these Christians refused to bow down to pressure. They kept the faith. And why? They believed God was faithful. How many people believe God's faithful? They believe God is faithful. So here's what Jesus does. He shows up on the scene, and we're going to talk about this. It says, see Christ. That he wanted them to see him. And here's what he shows himself and reveals to them to this poor church who's gone through so much. Man, their economy just got back. The Roman emperor cuts them off. Now they're in the synagogue, and now they've been shut. The door's been shut on their face to worshiping God. And so let's see who Jesus is. He says, I'm coming, and I am holy and I am true. The meaning, I am not like any other God or boss or leader you've ever had. I am otherly. I am holy. I am otherworldly. There's no one like me. And he says, I am true. Where other people have stabbed you in the back and left you and disowned you and cut you off, I'm a guy who's always faithful. How many know God's faithful? God's always there. He's always on time. He's always right. You can always rely on him. He says, I want you to see me like this. Where other people have stabbed you in the back, I'm always true. To you. Then he goes on, he says, I have the key of David. What does that mean? There's a prophecy in Isaiah that foreshadowed Christ. It said that he would be like the steward in David's palace. In these great palaces in the ancient time, there was a steward or a head butler, okay? Um, and on his shoulder would be the master key to the whole palace. And that guy would be like, well, we have in the uh, cabinet today, we have the chief of staff. You know what I'm talking about? The chief of staff. He's kind of like the guy that runs everything. The president's on the podium, but, you know, the chief of staff's really running everything behind him. And he says that the Messiah will be like that. He will have the key to the kingdom of David on his shoulder. The government will rest upon his shoulders. And it says in Isaiah, it says, whatever he opens with that key has the authority to stay open. And whatever he shuts with that key has the authority to stay shut. It comes from God himself. And Jesus says this over himself. He says, I am the guy who has got the authority over my father's palace of my kingdom. And he says, if I decide to open a door for you, let me, just, let me tell you something. It's going to stay open. And if I decide to shut a door against you, it's going to stay shut. I've got the authority. That's Jesus. Amen. And he says, nobody's going to mess with you if I've got the authority over you. And he says, this, op- this is an open and shut case. He says, I've got the authority to give people access to heaven and I've got the authority to shut them out. So it's simply saying this, whoever Jesus favors, no one can find fault. That's good right there. If Jesus favors someone, nobody can find fault in them. That's good stuff, amen? That's preaching stuff right there. If Jesus decides to favor you, no one can find fault with you. Who am I that I am that Jesus is mindful of me? David would say, but then we go to Romans and we find out that there is nothing that can separate us from his love. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That it's, if he says, I'm going to bless you and welcome you into my father's house, then nobody can keep you out. You need to remember that as you go through your day. Don't care what the devil says about you or what people says you're not good enough. You don't deserve to go to church. You don't look like you're a Christian. You don't sound like you. If God favors you and gives you his Holy Spirit and welcomes you into his house, then no one can find fault with you. No one can shut the door to my kingdom. 
And so here these believers are kicked out of the synagogue and told that God didn't love them or approve from them. You ever had Satan tell you God doesn't love you? You ever felt like you were excluded from God's presence and maybe God doesn't love me? Maybe I'm unworthy. Maybe I'm unloved. He says, but I need you to see who I am. I'm the guy that makes those decisions. And so who does he favor? Let's look at this. He says, I want you to see yourself now. Who do I favor? He comes to this church and he begins to dote on them. Uh, he, he, he says, you guys have been using your power. He said, look at that verse. He says, uh, verse 8, he says, you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Even though this church was not huge, was not powerful, he says, you're using the power that you have. You're using what energy you have to be faithful. You know, sometimes it feels like I don't have enough to get through the week or I don't have enough to do more. Like, God, there's too much. I can't do it all. But he says, but you're faithful with what little power you have. You know, you don't have to do it all. Do you know this? You don't have to be it all. You don't think you have to be the best of everything or do this or do that or I'm going to be the best Christian and if I don't live up to those standards, then I'm a failure. He says, but you're just faithful with what strength you have. You know, sometimes you go through life, you only have this much strength left. He says, well, just be faithful with what little strength you have. That's good. That's good, right? Because sometimes it feels like, well, God, I, to, to, to make it through, God, i got to have strength like this. It's got to be like towering strength. I need like six feet of strength. He says, just be faithful with just a few inches maybe you have. Maybe I don't have enough, enough to not say some things maybe when somebody pushes all my buttons. Maybe, maybe I don't have enough to give all the money I want to give. Or maybe I don't have it. But what I do have, be faithful with it. Amen? He says, you've been faithful. You, you have a little power. But guess what? I'm going to make up the difference. Just be faithful with what you have. He says, in that little bit of strength you have, you have declared my name. You've said that I'm the only way to eternal life, and there's only the way is through me, and there's grace through the faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, you've declared my name, and then he says, you've kept my word. It means you've remained true to the gospel, that you've tried to love your neighbor as yourself. You've turned the other cheek to your enemy. It's not been about all this other stuff that we can be religious with. He says, the simple thing is that you love God with everything you've got, and you do your best through the power of the Holy Spirit to love other people as yourself, and so you've kept my word. And you've persevered in this. You've endured persecution just like I did. And as a result of what you've done, you've been shut out. You feel excluded. You feel like people tell you you're not a Christian. And it's even been, he says, these even satanic Jews. He calls them satanic Jews. He says, these satanic people have been lying about you and saying all kinds of things like that's not the way to God. But you know because you've been faithful to love God and love me. Remember that time that uh, Jesus said to Peter, he says, Peter, Peter describes, he says, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, well, Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says to him, he says, Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but only the spirit, my father. He says, Peter, you are Peter, Petros, little rock. He says, but upon this rock, this statement you've made that I am the Christ, I will build my church upon this bedrock. Peter, you are little rock. But upon this bedrock, this statement you've made that I am the Christ, the foundation of my church will be built. He says the gates of hell will not prepare, uh, prevail against it. He says, Peter, I'm even going to give you the authority with the keys of the kingdom. And Peter, if you open something, it'll say open on the earth and in heaven. And Peter, if you shut it, shut the kingdom out, then it's going to be shut on the earth as it is in heaven. And he says... Uh, you would see Peter from that moment. Peter would go to the Samaritans and he would go to the Gentiles and he began to open doors of God's favor to people around the world. 
Now, what does that mean? What is an open door? Because Jesus says, I before you because of what you've done. Because if you were just, you were strong in what little bit you had, and you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name, and you've persevered through hard times, because of this, he says, I've set before you an open door. What is that open door? I've really studied and prayed on this. Open doors, if you go through Scripture and you study it out, especially in the Apostle Paul, his open doors for him are moments where favor comes into place. Okay, so think about this. It means that not only can it be an open door, okay, God, I want the blessings God in my life, uh, that's true. But often an open door is not just for you, it's for someone else too. So Paul would say, hey, God has opened to me the door to go into Greece and preach the gospel. The door of favor has been opened that God has prepared a path for me to continue to do what I've been called to do. But also as I go through that door, that blessing is going to begin to go through me and out to other people. And here's the question. Are you waiting for the right open door? Doors are opportunity for God's favor to come into your life and often into others. So here's where we apply it to to our lives today, this whole thing. Waiting for open doors. Sometimes, as Christians, we are standing and waiting and knocking and crying at the wrong doors. God, I really want this job. Lord, where are you at, man? Come on, I'm knocking. This door's not open. I've got five keys here. I'm trying, and, and, and it's not working. You know, there's a story that says Houdini uh, had a, uh, he was wrapped up, and he always could get out of stuff really quick, and it said that uh, he was at this one door, I think it was in Europe, and they locked him in in this, in this room, and he was trying, it was like three hours, he still couldn't get out. Come to find out, the door wasn't even locked. He was just trying all the wrong keys, and that's why it wouldn't work. You know, sometimes it's that we don't have the right key, or the door's not meant to be open, or we don't understand what we're looking at. And sometimes we're saying, God, open this relationship door. God, open this job opportunity door. God, open this door. I think this is the door I'm supposed to go through. I think my spouse, my forever spouse is over there. This is the thing I want in my life. This is the, the release I need for my peace or my joy, or maybe it's that vacation. Lord, please let that vacation happen. You know, that cruise, Lord. Open the door to the cruises. I mean, how many want that door? The cruise door. Like, God, open this door but see this is a door that god has and he's got the key and it's a kingdom door it's a kingdom door think of it this way jesus says and john says i am the door and the sheep know my voice and i'm the way to everlasting life and so jesus is defining the door here and he's saying guys it's a kingdom door what about my blessing god Well, what if your blessing came through somebody else's belief? Think of this for a second. What if your blessing came through somebody else's belief? You know, God always resources his mission. And if we would just be faithful with what little things God has given us and focus, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom and everything else you need is going to be added to you. That's this promise here. Sometimes we've been knocking on things, maybe that God doesn't want to open or it's not ready for you yet. And maybe you're not supposed to go through that door yet. And God's saying, hey, if you just trust my timing and make sure you're at the right door, it's me that you're looking for. It's not this job. It's not this relationship. It's not this new season of your life. If you just knock on me, you'd come to me and find out that I'm the person you need to go through to get to the favor that God has for you. That's what he's saying here. I've put before you an open door that no one's going to be able to shut. But guess what? You've got to 
wait for it. You've got to get to the right door. Maybe I'm speaking over some of our heads this morning. But I feel like sometimes we've been knocking on the wrong things and asking God for things instead of just seeking him. And so what door are you at? And then the second question is this. How will you wait? All right. How will you wait? I uh, when I prayed and I knew uh, in January of 2013 that I was supposed to be leaving Missouri. I knew in January uh, it wasn't time for me to go. I tried all kinds of things. I don't know how many resumes I put out. And I'm going to tell you, every single one was shut until November of 2013. Many months later, I get a call, the only call, because I prayed. I said, God, keep every door shut. I'm too stupid to walk through the one and decide which one it is. I'm, I just need it very clear, God. I need it just the one right door and all the wrong doors. Just make sure they're shut. And I waited. I even told my lead pastor at the time, I said, you know, I've been looking for a while. I feel the Lord's called me the next season. And, and he, uh, he said, you know, you're here. Be here with us as long as you want. I told him, I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done looking. All right. I'm here. I'm staying. One week later, to the day almost, a man by the name of Wayne Chapman gives me a call, you know, and, and says, come on down to Louisiana and, and check out us. You know, sometimes we need to wait and we get so anxious and we're like, God, but you said you'd do this. And God, I have this promise. And Lord, you know that the Bible says this, but sometimes God has it shut for a reason or even for a season you may be in the place where someone or something, maybe even Satan himself, is trying to shut you out from God. Or you may be asking, God, where are you? I've been waiting. And you may have been wanting to give up or give in. Uh, this passage should encourage you. Don't let discouraging devils keep you out of God's open door. Somebody say amen. amen. The good news is, let me tell you what these three things, these guys, they had power, they had patience, and they had perseverance. Power, patience, and perseverance. Three things you've got to have to wait Power is that simply whatever God has given you, whatever knowledge, whatever faith, whatever energy, whatever hope, make sure you're using every little bit of the little bit you've got to wait on God and have faith. It's simply that they had to trust that God was faithful, and so they would be full of faith. God was worth it. They'd kept his word. They loved others patiently. They patiently persevered the season of life they're in. And number two, they declared his name. They said, you know what? Despite any obstacles, I'm not going to give up on telling everyone Jesus is my answer. Jesus is my way. Jesus is the way I'm going to get there. There's another thing I'm pursuing right now. I'm not pursuing a career. I'm not pursuing relationships. I'm, not, I'm just pursuing Jesus. He's the way I'm going to get into the blessings of God. And so maybe you're in a season of waiting. But in that season of waiting, you can still be pursuing and proclaiming Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. You can still be pursuing it. And then he says, have faith because God is faithful. Your waiting on God will not be wasted. That's a good Facebook quote. Your waiting on God will not be wasted. Think about Joseph. Remember Joseph? God, I'm going to do great. Joseph, I'm God. I'm going to do great things through you. People are going to bow down to you. All this great stuff's going to happen to you. Guess what? I'm in a prison, God. I just got arrested for something I didn't do, and now I'm in a prison. What happened to the dream, God? What happened to all the things you said about me? Joseph, just be faithful. Just be faithful. Years would go by, 
And finally, as an older man, after going through all of the pit and the prison and the palace, all the testings and trials, finally the day came where the door is open and his brothers come and bow down before him. He, Joseph saves a nation, saves his family. And what does he say to them? The things that you meant for evil, God meant for good. It was worth the wait, the riches of where I'm at right now. What I, the blessings I have right now in this season that I'm at have been worth the wait. Sometimes we're in a hurry for God to work everything out in our life. But waiting on God is not wasted. Those who are faithful to follow Christ will follow him into favor. What does it say in Isaiah? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What? They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. The faithful follow Christ into favor. And let me end with this. After you've waited for open doors, then you've got to trust God to walk through them. And what's on the other side? You know, the Bible says that when he has the keys, he's got the keys of the kingdom, which unlock all kinds of doors. There's one door that he really unlocks. That is all the wealth of heaven. That good steward would have had access into the treasury department. And Jesus has access into all of God's favor. The word favor means grace. Grace, unmerited favor. That's what grace means. And Jesus has the key that allows the blessing that is the spiritual atmosphere of God, that God himself can come into your life and bless you, fill you with the Holy Spirit. And heaven's treasures are not like the earthly treasures that we always want, the good car and the good job and the good-looking spouse, and we want this to happen, I want deliverance from all this, and I want opportunity for all this, and I want relaxation and comfort and pleasure. I want all this stuff, and then my life will be okay. But heaven's value, heaven's kingdom, heaven's treasures are so much more. And the wealth of heaven, too, is worth the way. Here's what he says I'm going to do for you. Look at these three things that God says to this church. He says, because you've had the little bit of power you have, you've not denied my name, you declared my word, you've had power, you've had perseverance, you've been patient with me. He says, number one, I will declare you. Ladies, when your husband proposed to you, did, was it like in a restaurant where he got down and said, I love this woman? I mean, did he do anything like that? Or you ever had anybody say that in public, just go crazy for you? Or maybe you want to, maybe you give a hint. It was Valentine's Day just a few weeks ago. Like for someone to tell you, I love this woman, or that's my person over there, I love them. And when you're at your kid's ball game and they make that home run or they make it to the end zone, don't you stand up and shout and say, that's my boy, that's my girl, whatever, like that's my kid. How good does that feel, right? When you hear somebody say in front of the whole community, I love you, right? Sometimes it's a little embarrassing maybe. But can you imagine what it's going to feel like one day when people who rejected you and disowned you and the devil's lied about you and you wondered if you were ever going to make it, you're going to get up to heaven one day. And he says, what does he say? Look at that verse. He says, because you've kept all these things, because you've had a little power, you've not denied my name. He says, I will make them bow at your feet and I'll make them know I have loved you. You know how special it's going to be when you get up to heaven and you come up to God. He says, this is the person I love right here. I love this one. This one I love. This one, I really like this one. I love this one. This, this is mine. I love him. I love her. 
You know how valuable he's going to sit in front of all the demons of hell and all of the devil and his minions and all the world and the nations who've denied Christ. And the people have said, you are a crazy Christian fanatic. Don't you know there is no God? We came from monkeys. And don't you know that all the science is contradictory to this? There's going to be a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You've been right all along, sister, that God loves you. The whole world is going to declare, Christians, you are right. There is a God, and he did love you. He says, this is the value of what I'm offering you. If you'll wait on me, if you'll declare me, if you'll make it through all the hard times of life, if you just be patient to hold fast and persevere, I'll declare to the whole world, I love you. Who can put a price tag on that? Number two, he says, I'll establish you. He says, I will make you a pillar. Remember, they're in the shakable world. They are in an earthquake territory. He says, in this shaky world, I will establish you in my father's house. I'll make you like a pillar. And that pillar will never move. It'll, you can't even think these thousands and thousands of pillars in these temples. That's not something you can just move like a house plant. This is something that holds the foundation. He says, I'm going to build my kingdom upon you. You're going to be a part of it, like these bricks in the wall. You're going to be there forever in my father's house. And something even cooler, he says, I'm going to put on you a name. You're going to have my father's name, and I'm going to write a name on you. He says this a lot in a lot of the churches. But in the pillars, in a lot of these temples, and we do it back here. We have some on the wall back there. It says, these things are donated in memorial of so-and-so. Or if you go to these places, museums, you say, this is the general who did this in this battle. They're hero plaques. And some, on, some of these pillars were written the names of people who had done a lot of good things for Rome or Greece or whatever their empire was. And he says, I'm going to write upon you that name. In my father's house, you're going to be memorialized. You're going to be valued. That little thing you thought was just so little, just to make it through that season in your life, that little thing, that little power you had, he says, I'm going to establish you on that pillar. I'm going to write your name. It's going to say what you've done for the Lord, how the Lord has valued you. You're a hero in heaven. Because sometimes you don't know what little things you're doing on this earth are making the biggest impact in God's eyes. You've been faithful against the lies of the enemy. You've held it fast, even though everything around you is falling apart. You've not let go of Jesus. You've hold the course. You've run the race. You're going to make it. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to make it. God's going to establish you. While everyone else excluded you, he says, I will establish you. Lastly is this. He says, I'll never leave you. That emperor had left you and cut out your economy. Those Jews cut you out. People maybe in your family cut you out. Those jobs you might have lost because you didn't want to go with the flow of what the world did. They, they were cutting corners and cheating on things in your workplace. And you said, I can't stand for this. And maybe you, you got ridiculed. Or maybe you couldn't even finish that degree. We have Christians right now going to have to make true decisions whether they'll finish their college degree because they'll not go with these professors. And this, There's real things happening right now where people are making decisions where they're going to lose earthly blessings for heavenly gain. He says, I, though will never leave you. He says, your greatest reward is going to be that you gain me. You see, you'll have his name. You'll be his bride. You'll forever be in the place where God dwells. 
I love this verse, and I close with this, and the team can come back. In Romans 8, 35, it says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have some trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Remember, as the Scriptures say, For your sake, Lord, we're all killed every day and even like slaughtered sheep. But he says, No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who has loved us. Overwhelming victory is yours if you hold fast. Use what little power you have. The faithful will follow Christ into favor. How many believe that's true? You be faithful. God loves you. He's going to declare that love to the whole world. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let go. Just keep holding on to Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want to pray over you. Maybe today you are wondering if you're going to make it through this season. Maybe today you are trying to come out of addiction. Maybe today you're coming out of, you want to come out of depression. You want to come out of all the lies of the enemy over you. You've been wondering if I'm on the right track and God, is, is this effort has been in vain? Lord, is, when's the next season going to end? Maybe, Lord, I need provision. Maybe, God, I need something to work out in my life. Jesus is the answer. He's the door. He's the way. He's got the door. He's got the key. He's got the unlock. The, he can unlock the treasures of heaven. And no matter what you go through in this life, do not forget He loves you. He loves you. And what little power you have, you must spend it declaring His name. Living for Jesus. Doing what He said to do. Keeping His word. Loving people. Loving God. Being faithful to follow Him. Come what may, Lord, I'm going to stand with you. I know that heaven's treasures are worth the wait. God, I'm waiting on you. I trust in you. Jesus, you're worth it. Jesus, you're worth it. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I don't want to be like those three boys that got all the way through their life. They put all that effort in. They thought they were good and they could do it on their own and they thought they could get up those stairs. But then when the last day comes, they find out they don't have access into the heaven they thought they were looking for. Today, if you don't have confidence, security in Christ. The Bible says that we are all sinners. We all deserve a devil's hell. And the only way is not through our own merits, because we could boast in that. It is through simply trusting that Jesus' work on the cross was all that you need and that his work was good enough. And it's not about what we do or how we look or what we say or what spiritual measures we want to measure ourselves by. It's simply that, Jesus, you were enough for me. Jesus, you love me to die for me. Jesus, and because of that love, I surrender my life to your Lordship. Because of that love, Lord, I now give my life to love you in return. If you want that relationship with him, and today maybe you don't have it, and maybe you've been trying to live life on your own, you've been trying to get out of these problems on your own, you've been trying to be a good enough person on your own, you've been relying on your own efforts more than his efforts. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me that I will just give everything to Christ, and I want to find that security.